So we're going to go on a little journey on a new teaching series, and we're going to answer some of your questions that you submitted along the way. I'm going to address one of the biggest questions today, but my title today is Ideas Have Consequences. Ideas Have Consequences. So where do actions begin? In your thoughts, in your head, as an idea. So what you believe will eventually turn into something that you do. And sometimes, sometimes people understand that their ideas will lead to certain consequences. Those are people that we call evil if they're doing something that's wrong. But sometimes people can do wrong actions because they don't understand that the ideas that they have lead to that action. So there are people that understand what they're doing, and they just do it anyway because they don't care. And then there's some people that do things that are wrong because of the ideas that they hold, but they don't connect the two. And that's the most dangerous category, I think, for us to fall into, is if you don't connect your ideas with your actions. They are connected, but if you don't see the connection. If you don't, you will be trying to fix the action and the whole time you have an idea that is robbing you of the ability to make a right decision. So here we're going to look, if you've read in Hebrews chapter 3, these verses will sound familiar. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 7. It's going to talk about the time in the Bible's history called the provocation. The provocation, meaning they provoked the Lord or they were getting on his nerves in some ways. They were frustrating him because of an idea that they had. So we're going to get some definitions and then we're going to go forward um, with this introductory lesson. And hopefully uh, you will. We're going to go over this a lot in the next few years as you transition out of high school and into college, because high school is a time where you're learning. But college actually ratchets that learning up a little bit because most of the time people are there by choice. So in high school, you got people are there by force. You have to be there. But in college, people are there by choice. So typically the learning environment's a little more intense because people want to learn mostly in your classroom. They want to learn. So the ideas can be exchanged a lot faster. So college is a place of incredible idea exchange, which is why we've got to know what the right ideas are, and you've got to be able to recognize the wrong ideas. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with the generation and said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my way, so I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Okay, now, you get just interestingly enough, I read that fast because that whole thing is in a parenthesis. So that's just to set up what God is going to teach us right now. 
So he's saying, wherefore, and then if you skip that parenthetical phrase, which is three verses, wherefore, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you uh, of an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So that's the commandment right there. So verse 7, and then you skip, it says wherefore, and then you can skip down to verse number 12, and it says take heed. So wherefore, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you of an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And so where is he drawing this this admonition from? He's saying, listen, be careful that you don't get an evil heart of unbelief. And I'm going to use as an example the day of provocation. I'm going to use as an example the journeying in the wilderness of the people, of, of my people, of your ancestors, the children of Israel. And we are the children of Abraham. We are the children of faith. So even if you're not Jewish, you are having a faith ancestry of the people of Israel. That's why we use them so often as examples, because they were the original children of faith, just like you are the children of faith. And so the problem with the children of Israel was not that they were not strong enough or smart enough. It was that they had an evil heart of unbelief. Now, what is unbelief? That's what we have to define. What is unbelief? At its very core, belief and therefore unbelief is at its definition an idea. So they entered not in. We see later on in the chapter at the very last verse of chapter 3, verse 19, that they entered not in because of unbelief. So when you see that word unbelief, you can know that it was an idea. They entered not in because of an idea. So they lost out. Something physical happened. Something actual happened in their life. In reality, because something in their mind happened first. So before they died in the wilderness, if you remember the story of the Exodus and the unbelieving generation died off and only Caleb and Joshua got to go into the promised land from that first generation, everybody else died off and their children got to go in to the promised land, to the land of Israel, but they died in the wilderness. That, that physical reality happened to them because of unbelief, because they got an idea in their head that led them to do certain actions that caused something to go wrong, to cause a physical reality in their life, ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. That's a biblical example. You can think of a multitude of other examples in life. Ideas have consequences. You spout it out really easily. Where, does act, where do actions start? They start with ideas. That's common sense. You get the idea and then you act out on it. So ideas matter. Ideas have consequences. It matters. So unbelief. When you see that word unbelief, you can think of it as ideas. You can think of it as a wrong idea. Unbelief. Now, I, I like the English language. I was an English major when I went to school. So I like to think about the parts of speech, the prefixes. I think those are cool. They can tell you a lot about a word, a prefix, a suffix. You guys remember that? I know it's summer. You, you're trying to wash that from your brain as fast as possible. You get on YouTube and you search how to unlearn everything I just learned, and you just veg out, play video games, and just let your, you're just trying to wash your brain of all knowledge. I know what summer's about. You're just like trying to wash it out. Just get all of this stuff. I don't want to know it anymore. I don't know. I want to know Pythagoras or his theorem. I want it out, 
right now. I don't want to know rise over run. I want it out. I, want it, I don't want to know past participle. I want it out right now. I want it out of my mind. I, I want to wash my mind of all of this stuff. But I'm going to try, I'm going to, try to grab something before it gets squashed out completely because it's still early in the summer. A suffix and a prefix. Right, those things that are added to words. So unbelief. What's, what's there? There's, there's the root word, which is belief. And then there's un. Very good. It's still there. There's still something there. There's an un there. There is a something before. There is a prefix. It, in that un, it completely flips what the word belief means. So it's, it's a negative word in that it says that there's something that's not there. It's not something that's there. It's something that's not there. You know what I mean? So it's like light and darkness. Darkness is not a thing. It's an absence of a thing. So unbelief is not a thing. It's an absence of belief. So just I know it's summer, but go with me. You engage your, I know it's morning. It's summertime. You probably stayed up all night, but just hold on with me. It's, it's a, there's, a, there's a nothing that's there. It's a nothing thing. It's unbelief. It's a, it is a twisting. It is a inverting of the idea of belief. It's a twisting of the truth is what we're going to say. So we're, we're trying to get a good working definition of unbelief and apply it to modern day life because a lot of times we get a lot of definitions of belief and faith in, in the church. It's hard to really grasp and hard to really put into other spheres of our life. We think that faith is something that we have in church, but then when we go to school and we engage with other ideas, that faith and belief don't really matter. And it's, it's like the, they want to tell you that it's separate. That's your faith life. You're people of faith, but here this is not people. This is not a time for faith. This is a time for thinking. This is a time for logic. This is a time for reason. And are those two things different? No. Because what is belief? Belief is thinking that something is true. And unbelief is thinking that that thing doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That it doesn't matter what the truth is. It does, so unbelief is at its very base definition, in my opinion, is just the thought that doesn't matter. That does not matter. So that is where people come to lose out on their faith, their belief in God, is they just believe that it doesn't matter. And usually it starts with something small. Well, that portion of the faith doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, and you, could, you can see this work out in people's lives, it doesn't matter how you're baptized, it doesn't matter how you're saved, as long as you believe it doesn't matter. So that it's that anytime you say something doesn't matter, or I don't need to really think about that, then you're crossing in to unbelief, and to that idea that this doesn't matter. But ideas matter. Every idea that you hold in your heart and in your mind matters right now. And it is shaping the trajectory of your life. And there are some ideas that if you, they do not change, it will not play out well in your life. That's why we have to battle in the realm of ideas. It's not a boring thing to do. It's actually something that's important, especially as you get older, get more advanced classes in high school, and transition to college, ideas have consequences. But let me give you a non-biblical example now. Because there was a lot of there was a lot of questions when you submitted them about the issue of abortion. That is one of the most hot button topics 
hotly contested topics in politics in our country today. And many of you had questions about abortion. Now, let me just say this, that abortion is not just a physical act of ending a pregnancy, killing a baby, destroying a newborn baby inside the mother's womb. It begins as an idea. And from what is taught at the majority of universities, abortion is a very logical, sense-making conclusion from the idea that they start with. So it's not the action that is bizarre. It is the idea behind it that is bizarre, that is twisted, that is evil. And you can't tell that the idea is twisted until you let its worldview play out. And then you begin to see how awful the actions are. So people are, and as we should be as Christians, are kind of reviled at the idea of abortion. But it doesn't start with the idea of the killing. There's some other ideas that starts way back, and that's where the distortion happens. And then as you just move forward as a logical, consistent human being, you have to get to the place where you kill a baby in the safest place on earth. The safest place for a baby to be is in the mother's womb, except in the modern era, where it is the most dangerous place for a baby to be. And I could give you all the Bible verses about not killing and all of that. Of course, God hates abortion. God hates that. He's always been against sacrifice of children, of innocent people. And uh, he created us in his image. And so we could go through all of that. And I, I think we're pretty much all on the same page that that is a, a terrible evil. I don't think I have to convince anybody that that is an evil. None of us would be here if our mothers had chosen abortion. It's, it's just, it's an anti-life thing. It's just, it snuffs out people's creativity and people's ability because you never know what that baby could become. But I'm not here to talk about that as far as a defense of life because I think we all know that life is good. But I'm here to trace back the idea to show you as an example that ideas have consequences. That ideas have consequences. So they say, so here you're, you're let's say you're sitting in a classroom right now and you are on the road toward abortion, or you believe in abortion, and you would never right now, because you're an apostolic and you are a Christian, you would never right now just embrace the idea of, hey, should you be able, should it be legal to kill a baby inside the mother's womb? Should it be legal? You would say no. But what if they said this, is freedom a good thing? You would say yes. I mean, mostly you would say yes. You would say, do you want to be free? We would say yes. And then they would introduce this word called autonomy. Autonomy. What does autonomy mean? Automatic is, this is a similar word, but they don't have the same meaning. Autonomy. Now, what it, so automatic means you don't have to really interfere with it, right? If it's an automatically driving car, you don't have to interfere with it. So it's a similar definition. Autonomy means individual, individualism. You have autonomy. You have the ability and the right to completely be free from all obligation, all responsibility, and to do whatever you want to do. Does that sound pretty good? 
At first, yes, it sounds pretty good. I, I mean, I think that's an honest, I think you kind of know that I'm going somewhere, but if you were just in a college classroom and somebody starts talking about autonomy and that, and that it's, you don't want to be told what to do and you don't want to have dictators over you and you don't want to have somebody putting down their hand on you and pressing down on you, you're, you're thinking, oh, that's pretty good. Is there ever a, a place in time when you should not have autonomy, when you should not have the ability to make a decision that you want to make? Is there ever a time when that should happen? And they're going to say no in the college classroom. They're going to say absolutely not because the number one good is this autonomy and this freedom to be whoever you want to be and to shape your life, that you can do whatever you want to do. And so they, they start talking about autonomy and that you have the right to these things, and you have the right to never hinder your ability to be happy, the pursuit of happiness, and they'll take that to mean that you never have to hinder your rights, you never have to hinder what you want to do, and, and you can kind of go along with that for a while, and they can begin to work on you in that way, but what is the logical conclusion of complete and total bodily autonomy that you never have to submit to anybody's authority well if you play that out it doesn't go well throughout all of society it doesn't go well when you get to a, being a mother and you understand that when that baby begins to grow inside of you and it just hits home for me because of course we're expecting our first child and so it just it it takes away a lot of your freedom, a lot of your ability. We're coming to the understanding it's already changed Sister Nikki's life very dramatically, just having to carry the child. And when the child is born, it's going to change our life drastically. And then we're not going to be able to do everything that we might have wanted to do because we have a responsibility that this child now will hinder my freedom because I'm going to have to think twice before I quit my job, before I make a big move before I hang out on a Saturday, before I make plans to play golf or whatever. I've, I've got somebody else that is now infringing upon my autonomy. That's where we're going to forget about God for a minute. I've got a little person that is telling me what to do. Telling me when to, that it needs some food. Telling me that it needs a diaper change. Telling me that it needs to go to sleep. Telling me, it's telling me what to, it's infringing upon my autonomy. And so the natural conclusion is if you believe in autonomy as your number one God, as I am my own God and I'm going to do everything that I want to do, it is a, if you believe that and you become intoxicated with that idea that I am the master of my own destiny, I am the captain of this ship, and I'm going to make my own decision, and there is no one that's ever going to have authority over me. There's no one that's ever going to have. We're going to forget about God's authority. We're just going to talk about nobody's going to have authority over me. I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to be submitted to any area of responsibility in my life. The natural conclusion then is to kill that child. Because it infringes upon your number one right. Your number one right. So you see how the idea starts with something that sounds good at first. Freedom. The ability to do my own thing. To not be told what to do. To not be 
infringed upon so that my rights are never taken away. And then it just goes to its logical conclusion that you must kill the child if it does not work out with your scheme of your life. It's perfectly fine because the number one thing is your autonomy and everything else must fall down and worship at that idol. Everything. That's, that's, how they, that's how they work. And now you can see it now. It's not just playing in the unborn, but now the elderly. Because as your parents age, you have a responsibility to take care of them. And it is, it is difficult. My grandparents are getting elderly. And my mother and her siblings are having to worry about making sure that they have everything that they need and that they can continue to live on their own. And it is a burden not one that they begrudge, but it is still is a burden. My, when my grandmother got cancer, my mom lived one year away from my dad in another state to take care of her mom. It's a burden. And so if autonomy, and it, it, it means you cannot do what you want to do because you have a responsibility. And so when you push off that responsibility and you say, I don't want to do this anymore then you've entered into this idea that the logical conclusion is let's just kill the people. They've lived a pretty good life. Let's just give them a painless death. And they do that in the Netherlands. They do that in Sweden. Sometimes it is voluntary, but it's easy to manipulate people in that stage of their life. And, and people already feel guilty. Old people, my grandparents, are, oh, you do too much for us. Oh, you do too much for us. If we could just leave us. And so if you have a society that, that loves death and you say, oh, I'll just die. I'll just get out of the way so that you can live your life. It just all of a sudden, it's a logical conclusion of an idea that was taught in a classroom on people that were decent people and would never kill grandma and would never kill a baby in the womb. But yet an idea began to germinate in their life and in their heart. And then because we are rational beings. Because we were created in the image of God and we have the ability to if A then B. We have the ability to follow steps and to follow directions and to make logical connections. That if you believe a lie, that's why the Bible taught, warns so much about lies. Because if you believe a lie, it won't just stop at one lie. You will follow it to its logical conclusion. If you believe that authority and, and uh, putting your life under authority does not matter. And I'm not just talking about like authority of the church. I'm talking about authority in any way. Like your boss, if you believe in not putting your uh, life under the authority of your employer, you're not going to have a job very long. If you don't believe in putting your life under the authority of a marriage covenant, then you're not going to be married very long. Sister Nikki is my boss in some regards. And I am her boss in some regards because there are some things and it's not really each other. It is the covenant that we took at an altar. It is the covenant. It is it is the promise that we made becomes our master. It be, we become the servants of that covenant. Because there are things that we absolutely cannot do without consulting the other. And there are some things that we absolutely cannot do at all because of the covenant. Because we put our life under submission to one another when we took the covenant at the altar. But if you have an idea that says my happiness is number one, 
And everything must worship at the altar of my happiness, at the altar of my convenience, at the altar of my life. You're not going to be married very long, hence the over 50% divorce rate in this country. Why? Because the idea is that there is never a time when it's appropriate to sacrifice. There is never a time when it's appropriate to do something that you do not want to do. If you don't want to do it, you need to get out of it. You need to have a quick exit plan. And so the logical conclusion is destroy a family if it's convenient for you. Kill a baby if it's convenient for you. Pressure your elderly loved one to take some medicine to just slip away into death if it's convenient for you. These are things that are horrible. And sitting here, you look down the course of your life and you say, I would never do that. I would never be there. I would, and these are radical examples, but that's not where I want my life to be. But if you get under the influence of an idea that begins to grow, and because you are a logical, consistent person, because God created you, you're going to live out the logic of that idea that gets in your head. The idea that, oh, that doesn't matter. I can do that without a consequence. Not true. Not true. That's why these ideas matter. And when you get to college, at a majority, the vast majority of universities, there's going to be at least, no matter what your major, there's going to be at least one class or two, or in my case, many, depending on the major that you go into, where they're going to give you that intoxicating idea that, oh, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because you come in with some belief. You come in with something. We have the, the Bible and the, the scripture and Jesus and the church. We have something to say about pretty much everything. We have a position on it. We take a position on immorality. We take a, a position on uh, sexuality. We take a position on entertainment. We take a position on the relationships between male and female as in reference to how you dress and how you look and how you act and the things that are appropriate behavior. We, we take a position on that. God has a position on just about everything. God cares and God, because he understands the importance. And, but the intoxicating idea of unbelief is not an anti-position. You're not going to go in and say, they're not going to just tell you, oh, this is not true or this is the absolute way to live. They're just going to tell you that doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's not a, it's not really a big deal to walk away from that. It's not really a big deal. Just do whatever you want to do. So just like the truth is very narrow, a lie is very broad. Because the truth is just like a point. It's just one thing. But a lie can be anything that is not the truth, which is infinite. So the truth of God's word and the truth that's contained in God's word is very specific and is a point. But the things that are lies are, can be broad, can be multiplied. So you have to know what the truth is. So that brings us to what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks in our college preparatory class because there are things that lead to everything in society that we disagree with. It began with an idea. It began with an idea. So we're going to talk about some of these ideas. If you want to write them down, we're going to talk about 
humanism. What is humanism? We're not going to talk about it today, but we're going to talk about it. It's an idea. It's an idea. We're going to talk about postmodernism. Anybody ever heard of that? It's an idea. It's an idea. And it's an idea that you say, oh, Brother Jared, that stuff doesn't matter. Absolutely it matters. Do you know why we sell? This is Pride Month, as I've already mentioned, for LGBTQ plus community. You know why we celebrate men that dress up as women? Because of postmodernism. Because somewhere, way before anybody thought of being proud of your son who wants to be a girl, there was an idea taught in a university way, like, probably a hundred years ago that began to say, oh, that doesn't matter. Oh, that doesn't matter. And that's, you know, that's why, let me just, just make that LGBTQ plus. What's that plus mean? It means that there's the, the lies and the perversion are never going to stop. They're going to keep adding letters to that. That plus just means there's, it's not just going to stop at men liking men and women liking women. And then men dressing like women and women dressing like men and then then having surgery to actually try never accomplishing, but trying to be a woman. It doesn't it's not going to end there. There's going to be other things. There's going to be people marrying objects. There's going to be all this stuff. And it's just going to get so twisted. Why? Because the truth of marriage being blessed by God between one man and one woman for life until death do them part, where God says this is blessed and I will give you dominion over the earth and I will bless your life. That is a point. That is one true thing. That is one true statement. But then when you get into college and say, well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You've got to do you, whatever you want to do. And then you just follow the logical conclusion. Well, if that doesn't matter, then anything is possible. And then it goes the L, B, G, T, but then there's a plus because it's just whatever. Whatever matters. What, what doesn't matter, just whatever goes. And so you see how the lies just begin to multiply and just push forward because it starts with an idea. You say, oh, I'd never do that. I'd never be a part of that community. I would never. It starts with an idea. It starts with an idea. It starts with, oh, that doesn't matter. Oh, well, the, God's plan for things doesn't matter. Uh, God's plan for my life doesn't matter. God's, God's desire for me to be pure until the day I get married doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. What I look at doesn't matter. Pornography doesn't matter. So it starts with just something that's an unbelief. That's an act of unbelief because what God says about lust and what God says about uh, the looking upon a woman, that doesn't matter. I'm going to reject that verse. I'm going to push that to the side. It doesn't matter. Oh, that, that doesn't matter. Well, good luck with that because you know what? You're going to follow the logical conclusion. And if that doesn't matter, then sexual assault doesn't matter. Because it's whatever you want to do and it's, it's just you, you worship at the God of autonomy so you could end up in prison. Or that doesn't matter, then you just lead into deeper and deeper perversion. I don't need to go there. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's just, it never ends. It never ends. So how did we get there as a society? And how can you get there as an individual? It's engaging with an idea. It doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter. You could look at that list. Feminism is one thing we're going to talk about on that list. Oh, oh, oh it doesn't matter. It, that's, that's not something that... That really affects me. I, I, I just go to, I don't, I'm not affected by these ideas. Yes, you are. You're affected by them. It matters. What about 
The last one, nihilism. It's an idea. It's impacting people's lives, including yours, every day. Every person, I talked about this on Wednesday night, every person that considers suicide is logically consistent with the worldview that is taught in every university or the majority of universities. It's, it's logically consistent to say my life is meaningless and it does not matter if I end it. Absolutely, that's right. If you believe the first idea. It's a logical conclusion. So you think about some of the worst possible situations that your life could be in. Or that those that you know whose lives could get to that place. It's not because they did something that was bizarre in some way against their logic. It was because they believed one lie that then they just followed the logic from there. Believed one lie. And we could go through the Bible and you just you see how when people are following God and then all of a sudden they decide to change and follow their own logic, it doesn't go well. So I want you to be, when you come back on these next Sundays, I want you to be engaged. I want you to be thoughtful. I want you to come prepared and prepare your heart because you're going to be in the world pretty soon out there, out of this youth group, going to college, get on a job, and you're running across all of these ideas. And they're going to lead to actions if you don't combat them when they first come in and say, you know what, that is false. That, does it, that leads to this. You need to know when you first hear it what it leads to. What it leads to. Because at the beginning, it can sound intoxicating. But as you follow its conclusion, there's nothing. There's nothing. I want you to bow your heads. God, I'm thankful for this group right here. Lord, and I know that they are in a period of their life of incredible transition. And their life in five years will look nothing like their life right now. It will be an incredible time of growth, of expansion, but also incredible time of danger, God, as they could believe a lie. And God, we don't want to just throw some sort of empty thing at them, God. We don't want to just throw some sort of put-together idea that will not hold. But God, we want to teach the truth. We want to be committed to the truth. So, God, I pray that your spirit would go forward and that it prepare the way in our hearts, God. Lord, if there's a young person here that's struggling, God, maybe they've already accepted a lie that your word doesn't matter, that your principles and that your creation doesn't matter. I pray that you would let the Holy Ghost go forward and begin to convict and begin to touch and begin to bless their life with the power of your truth, because we need to know the truth so that we will not be deceived. God, we love you. We lift you up and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an episode of Axiom Youth Student Ministries. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Thank you for tuning in.